I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehila Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to Tehila Talks, conversations with teens and their rabbi, uh, Julianne and Jasmine, and I'm Rabbi Linda. And today we're going to be talking about Pittsburgh and uh, Kristallnacht and what that means if you're a young person growing up, a Jewish young person growing up in America today. So we'll start a little bit about what you know about what happened in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. What were the facts that came your way? I heard there was a shooting at a synagogue and that 11 people were shot. And I later was reading about it, and I knew that it was a lot of elderly people, which was sad to me. Yeah, that's pretty much all I knew about it. We talked about it in school um, in the context of mass shootings and hate crimes, mainly. Like Julian. I know about the same. I didn't really do any reading about it, to be honest. So it didn't come across the transom in a very powerful way. Uh, the only time I really... T- I only talked to my dad about it, funnily enough. Like, that was the only conversation I had about it. That wasn't with you, I think. Yeah. I didn't learn that much. I know that 11 people were shot, and the guy was, like, kind of a racist, obviously. (laughs) And that it was, like, mainly elderly people. And how many of you knew about the shootings in Kentucky? I just learned about that from you, which is crazy. So, within a very short amount of time, we had... uh, one that was deterred because the church door was locked and a shooter couldn't get into a, an African-American church in Kentucky and then shot two African-American individuals in a shopping center who were also, in, interestingly enough, in the same age cohort as the people who were shot in the synagogue. So here's my first question. Do you feel that because there have been so many shootings... Uh, whether they're in a synagogue or in a church or in a parking lot or in a school, that they sort of roll over you at this point? I was talking about this in my class and um, with my dad about how it's sort of different for the different generations of people because even though I'm obviously emotionally affected by the tragedy that has happened— I'm not shocked or scared or frightened because it's almost like I knew. Like, I was, like, aware for a really long time that this was the climate we were living in. You know, it doesn't shock me that this happened. Where I think older people like my dad, like, he was really shocked. Like, and there was, like, more of an element of shock. Whereas I'm just, like, I feel like it's been happening so much. And for my entire life, because I was born, like, I was, like, five months old during 9-11. So, like... And I feel like that's a good... So it's part, for you, it's part of the same continuum. Yeah. Julian. I also wasn't very shocked. I mean, I think I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked at the same time because I was just thinking about how, like, we have had a long history of, like, things like this happening in our country, even going back to, like, the 1960s and, like, all the terrorism that occurred against Black people and, like, all the violence and turmoil we've had. Mm-hmm you know, as a country, like, I'm not surprised that mass shootings are, are a phenomenon, a phenomenon in our country. 
But it is it is shocking to me that like in 2018 America, there a synagogue would be attacked. So so that was my next question. Yes, gun violence. I'm a first generation American, so my view of these things is a little different. But I would say I it was not unexpected to me that eventually anti-Semitism would raise its head again. But did this, the fact that it was a synagogue and people were sitting and praying, did that hit you in any particular way that was different from the other shootings that have been going on? Like at the Pulse nightclub or, do you know what I'm saying? Or in the school. Or was this just, again, part of the same? I think, like, that's the thing is, like, I, it was sort of part of the same continuum for me because I knew that, like, America had anti-Semitic extremists and a lot of them now. Like, I had sort of been following that, you know? Mm -hmm. And also, for me, the anxiety about possibly being a victim of a shooting was already there because of school shootings, you know? Got it. And, like, I was already someone who would be a target for that just by going to high school, you know? So the anti-Semitic piece of it didn't hit you any differently than what's already been going on. That's my question, and I, I I hear your answer. I understand that. I think it I think it did for me personally because I also was aware that like these like these acts of hate happen in our country even today, and I know that anti semitism has been on the rise for the last couple of years in terms of like incidents reported and things like that. So it's not like something I never would have seen happening, and like. I have seen acts of anti-Semitism or racism in general in America, like in my lifetime, like, but it was just, it did shock me. And being Jewish, I think had a lot to do with that because I don't really feel like being Jewish is a huge, like puts a huge target on my back in my daily life. I live in New York city. There's a lot of Jewish people here. Like it's pretty accepted, but I know that like outside of New York city, outside of a lot of places, you know, anti-Semitism is a real thing and being Jewish is like a real, it makes you a real target sometimes. It's just shocking that that's the case today in our country. And it, it also that this was not an Orthodox Jewish community, was yeah. it? Mm-hmm. It was a community a lot think, like ours. Too. Yeah, I think that element of it did really shock me that it was sort of a similar community to Tehillah, like when I was like, or just, gen- yeah, it was a community similar to ours. And like, it did. I'm not saying that it didn't shock me at all, like, because it did. I do feel, like, all of those mm-hmm. things. And, like, I agree with what you were saying. Like, it's hard, I think, because specifically being Jewish in, like, America and in New York specifically is such, like, a weird experience because, like, because <laughs> it's, like, I was in <laughs> Massachusetts <laughs> and I um, sort of experienced some, like, anti-Semitism. And it was just so shocking to me, you know, like that, or it was like not shocking on an intellectual level, but it was like viscerally, viscerally, because it's like, I don't experience every day in my life feeling like I am an other or I am like, yeah, right. Well, that's that whole question of being an other when you're not a visible other. Yeah. Yeah, Like I, I look Caucasian, so, (laughs) and I'm a man. So like, I think in my daily life, I don't really see myself in like, a vic- like as being a potential victim of of these kind of acts, you know what I mean? Like it's much more likely it would happen to somebody else. Yeah. But it's just it's very it's very upsetting to think about. Like it's very close to us geographically, and it's like 
It's very similar to your own community. It just doesn't really add up to me. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would somebody do something so terrible? Yeah. To- well, this... That's why they're called senseless acts of violence, exactly, right? Exactly. And and but you still you still want to find that sense. You human still want to put wanna it, plug it create, into we, yeah, we, are, we a narrative. A, we we like to put things into a narrative. Yeah. We like to create order out of chaos. Yeah. And the chaos exists. What also struck me about this, about both cases actually, was because of the age of those who were shot. I don't want, like to think of them as victims. I like to think of them as people. We lost their stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had stories to tell. And in our community, it so happened that two of the people from Pittsburgh were camp campers of one of our members. Mm-hmm. Had known them as 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 young men. Just- so 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 that also that level of connection when you're in generally a small community, you know, is is a piece of it. So what does this have to do with Kristallnacht, right? It doesn't seem to have anything to do with Kristallnacht. I, I and yet, disagree. And yet, um, and yet, well, not obvious. It's not obvious. So what? Do you, how do you see the connection? Um, well, obviously both are acts of terrorism or violent acts against Jewish people. But they're obviously in different historical contexts. Like, this is an act of anti-Semitism in the 21st century in a country where, like, the right to worship how you want to is guaranteed. And like, that was not the case in Germany in the 1930s. Like that, that right was being in, like infringed was upon. Was being infringed upon by the 1930s. Yeah, but massively. Like but, we, we yeah. and usually in the United States, like, I don't know. I wish, I wish our president would kind of be like, this, this has no place in America. Like anybody can worship how they want to. And like, you should never have to worry about violence. But sadly, like, that's not the case. So that's a connection to me is like, I don't see the same response. I don't see a strong enough like response against this, against any any mass shootings, regardless of who the victims are. But like, it seems like people aren't reacting. Well, for me, I feel like it's similar to Kristallnacht in like the way of people thinking or like this idea of safety being destroyed almost. Like this idea that we are safe, that like this is something separate from our lives. Mm-hmm. being sort of like cocooned cocooned and you know we have to face that so, you know so this is a dilemma that my children put in front of me uh when they were growing up as the grandchildren of survivors on one side it's the lachrymose part of judaism lachrymose being the tearful part of of being jewish uh or or as my daughter used to say the Oi, I'm Jewish part of things. <laughs> yeah. Right? There's uh, a tragic element. The tragic yeah. element and the paranoia. And where is the joy in, in, this, in this tradition that we have? And the problem is, is that I think there's a tension between the two. The tension is that how I, I need to be joyful wherever and whenever I can with an awareness, like in your favorite show, right? Fiddler is one of your favorite shows. Yes. Yes, right. They're they're celebrating the wedding and then what happens? Yeah, it's a pogrom pogrom comes, right? right? So there's this, we live in this very tension-filled place, but I would propose that that's just being alive on some level. Uh, It's just that for us, 
it's part of the having one eye open is something that's handed down from generation to generation. And in other uh, cultures, it's less common. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me personally, like my, my Jewish identity is not like 100% of who I am. Right. It's something that sometimes like is more important to me and sometimes something that I kind of reduce. And I really think of myself more as like an observer in Judaism than like a full on participant. So for me, like, for me, I see these acts of violence as something that, like, that's something that's shocking because that's what my Jewish, like, ancestors had to deal with. That's the reason why they fled Russia. That's the reason why they came to New York City and tried to, and tried to make a living for themselves and tried to escape that violence. So, like, that kind of draws me back to what is my Jewish identity? How did my ancestors react to these things? And, like, I'm proud to, I'm proud that, like, my Jewish family, they they really like struggled to change the world positively, I think, for themselves and for their like culture. I think it's also like, that's sort of a shocking and scary thing to realize. It's like, even if you don't particularly identify as being Jewish, you know, I think that's something I was talking about with my dad, where he was talking about his experience in Europe going to a um, concentration camp and like, realizing like most of these people were like him they weren't very religious you know they were just like people who happened to be Jewish and it wasn't necessarily like the forefront of their identity but that didn't matter you know because they were still targets and it's because you don't if you think of like because I'm also that way like I'm I do consider myself Jewish like but I wouldn't say like when like defining myself like being Jewish wouldn't be like the first thing I would say but it's like that doesn't matter to people who that doesn't matter anti-Semitic. to gunmen. Yeah. Like, they don't care if you, like... And then that's, like, scary to realize because, like, you, you know, you were defined by other people in that moment. And, like, your identity is, like... It's, like, w- how you feel about it doesn't matter. Not that, like... Not that it matters whether or not, like, you identify with being Jewish strongly in that yeah. moment or whatever. But the point is, like, you don't have the choice. You don't have that sort of autonomy of identity, you are being defined by other people, which is sort of scary along with the, it's obviously not the most scary thing of being a target of a gunman, but it's a interesting element. Yeah. And also like the Nazis and this individual, like one of the first things that they're doing is, is like taking away your identity as a human being. Yeah. In their mind, they're picturing you as like Less than. The Jews being an evil force doing this, that, and the other thing. They're not they're not acknowledging what we all know, which is that like every human being has a right to live and like has a right to choose their own destiny and not have that taken away by violence. Well, I mean they're suspending that belief and that's like that's so frightening. Yeah. That's a frightening piece. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting what you said about self-identification. So I grew up with the story of uh, my mom growing up in Berlin and her uncle, who was her mother's baby brother, Mm -hmm. was a major Zionist. Uh, He would would drum into her head when she was younger than you are. Remember, first you are a Jew, then you are a German. This was in a family where members of the family had the Iron Cross from World War I, right? They were financially... Very bourgeois. We used to teach my mother, mm-hmm. tease her that she was mm-hmm. this uh, 
bourgeois individual. Uh, And yet this uncle just, you know, remember. And actually uh, in 1936, he he left for Israel, Mm -hmm. or Palestine rather, for Palestine. And he wanted to take my mother with him. And my grandparents said, whatever happens to us happens to her. Uh, but that that story, it's not that my parents ever said, you're Jewish before you're American. Yeah. But I heard this story yeah. with some regularity. The uncle ended up being right. Yeah. Because, but, that's, yeah. but that's what these people are trying to do. Whether it's like Black people, Jewish people, gay people. They're trying to make you think you're not an American. You're mm-hmm. not one of us. You have no claim to this, to your rights and your like intrinsic your intrinsic human rights because of, because you're a Jew first. And, and the, to me, it's like, yes, I'm a Jewish person, but I'm also American. Yeah. And those things don't it's, come it's, in it's any a not, It's not an either or. It's a yes yeah. and. It's all one. It's all one. It's one package. Identity. And yeah. And that's yeah, fine. That's, it doesn't have to be. Well, the, we, the Nazis were depriving your family of their German identity. Mm-hmm. But that German, like feeling that way, I don't think is wrong. It's just who you are. You know what I mean? Well, it's also the thing that we have, the advantage we have as Americans, uh, historically speaking, which we didn't have in Germany, is we have the letter from George Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Religious to, tolerance. Yeah. Religious tolerance to to the synagogue in Newport. I mean, that that letter sort of says, yes, you have every right to be here. Mm-hmm. And and that is part of the um, the grounding and the roots of American identity is that we, every person who comes to these shores has a right to be yeah. here. Yeah. Because and whether or not the current administration likes the term or not, uh, we still are a nation of immigrants. Yeah. yeah. If you go back far enough. And it's so powerful to imagine like whether or not it's Jewish people coming in the 1920s or whatever, or even people today that like everybody from all over the world can take those values, take those like American, take what America is, is promising and like reinterpret it and live like live that dream, I guess. You know what I mean? Like it, whether you're Jewish, Muslim Christian, we're all like coming together and living by that standard. So you think that, and this goes against that. This act is completely like uh. Right. So so how does this influence this that lacrimose uh, vision or the Oyam Jewish well uh-huh. uh, position? How do we how do we get out of that narrow space? Yeah, we can't we can't have a victim mindset. Yeah, because yeah. But it, I think that does come from, like, this frustration of sort of you not f- you feeling like being Jewish inhibits you when we should be saying that people who inhibit, like, this sort of idea, even though it's real and it affects people deeply, this idea of, like, being Jewish is different from being American. And this goes with any identity that's the subject of um, racism, xenophobia, religious intolerance. This idea that like being a Jew is inhibit it does makes you un-American or makes you on whatever nationality or identity you want to have, that's wrong. And we have to have it's powerful for us to be able to have that stance, like make that stance mm-hmm. of saying, like, I am Jewish and I am an American. And like it's I think that to do that, it's really hard. In if in yeah. a, I think, it, but I th- I, th- I think also we have 
if we know we have the armor and the um, the information to counteract that by yeah. saying one of the lines that is repeated most often in our liturgy, we say it at Passover over and over again, I was a stranger in a strange land, mm-hmm. therefore remember the stranger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's an empowering statement that says, yes, there were times when I was oppressed, but I know what it's like for oppressed people, therefore I must stand with them at all times. Yes. Yeah. Is a very different... No, I totally... That speaks volumes to me yeah. because this... I feel like with this type of thing, like you can't let it intimidate you. You can't let it shut you down. You can't let it stop you from from being who you are and and being Jewish. You have to let this be something that encourages you to go out and advocate for, like go to the polls, you know, be be proud, be open. And even if it's not acts of hate against Jewish people, even if it's acts of hate against African-Americans like in Kentucky, you have to be an advocate for them. You have to make sure that like that people don't just see this as something acceptable because it's not acceptable to happen mm-hmm. anywhere, period. So like we have to we have to allow this to like motivate us to be advocates for ourselves and for other people. And it, go, I mean, it goes back to the to Hillel's dicta, right? If I'm not for myself, who am I? Exactly. If I'm only for myself, what am I? If not now, when? I mean, this is it sounds so simple. But in reality, it it isn't, and and it, it does mean that we identify with one another. Yes, of course, but it isn't only about us. Mm-hmm. It yes. stops with the me, and that kind of it's yeah, not a good thing. It does like remind me of um, empathy and like this idea of empathy and understanding being important and like the most vital thing we can have as human beings. I think because. If you have empathy for other people, if you're not looking at situations and thinking of them only in the way that they affect you, if you're looking at them in a larger context of this is happening to so many people, and even if, like, sorry if I'm not being very articulate right now, um, but, like, even if you're outside of it, like, as Jewish people, like, that line you said, I think is really powerful because you know, we understand what it's like to be a victim of oppression. And even if we're not in a time or even if in our personal lives, we're not literally being oppressed in that second, that shouldn't be, you should still be able to have that empathy for other people Mm -hmm. because, you know, it could, and not just because it could happen to you, even if it couldn't happen to you, you should still be someone who's advocating for others and having that empathy for other people. Even if like you're not, like what, this is for people. What yeah. happened to the Rohingya, right? Yeah. Right? And, and Minamar said, oh, yeah, you can, you can come back. Nobody got on the bus. Why? Nobody yeah, got on the bus to go back. Uh-huh. <laughs> to me, that speaks volumes. They're yeah. living under the worst possible situation. The worst possible situation in these migrant camps. And yet they know they get on those buses. The chances of being shot down in cold blood or something comparable to that is yeah. really high. And so for us, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Rabbi Simcha Weintraub, has been a leader in this and, and making us, our community, aware so that we can write the letters and we can yeah. do what needs to be done. And he's a rabbi leading the way. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. about knowing who we are and what our responsibility is in the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Love, also, I, like, this is might sound a little bit weird, but love is such a powerful weapon against hate. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah. 
like being able to see these tragedies like and channel that into a productive energy where like you try to it's these things feel so hopeless because like it happens and then the guy's arrested and everybody's already dead by the time you hear about it but like you need to we still need to realize that like there's work that we can do here there's work that we have to do here in order to fight against these things because regardless of whether it's 2018 or like 1936 or whatever year it is like people are like the rohingya that's still happening you know these things happen all the time and we have to like be always be working against it and and memory we were talking about earlier is very important i was just at a, a kristallnacht observance in the city and a woman who wrote a well, she actually she wrote a book but she what it was is that she discovered an archive of photos uh, at Auschwitz. Uh, when people came to Auschwitz, their property, whatever they had in their suitcases, basically went to Germany. Papers, jewelry, whatever it was, it went to Germany, except for photographs. The photographs were incinerated. And they heard that there was one, the Jewish underground at Auschwitz heard there was one more transport coming. And somebody said, we have to save the photographs. So the photographs are saved. And I will show you some of those pictures before you leave today. Um, they're ordinary pictures of ordinary people. That's still such a powerful yeah. way to exist. And, and, and yes. And so now we have these photographs. Yeah. And they tell their own story. And yet resistance doesn't necessarily mean staying alive. Resistance can take on many forms, mm-hmm. but it's saying no to yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's that's really that's a Jewish tradition. I would say, or like, yeah, that's yeah, that's just something in, intrinsically Jewish to me. And my perspective is just like when you encounter acts of evil and things that seem impossible to fight, and like still realizing that like you have to resist, you have to maintain your identity, and like you have to continue being good. You know what I mean? Like you can't, yeah, you know what I mean. You like can't you have give to, in. yeah, you yeah. can't give in to to bad things. You have to continue to struggle. That's mm-hmm. so Jewish to me. Like that's mm-hmm. so much of what, what the what like the history of Judaism has taught me. Yeah, and I was just thinking about this with this conversation. Like for me, like being like, I really did like choose to be Jewish. Like I chose to have a bat mitzvah. I chose to, like be an active participant in Judaism and like all of that. And I think a lot of it was because of that idea that I found in Judaism of like responsibility to be a good person and like responsibility. Standing up. Yeah. Yeah. And like standing up to hatred and communities coming together. But interestingly enough, you didn't, people could say, well, I could do this just by myself. Mm -hmm. These are good. These are nice humanistic values but when you choose to be part of a community you're no longer alone yeah yeah when you're doing that the communities are so powerful like because us as an individual mm, speaking um (laughs) like you were saying earlier that it's like these situations can feel really helpless and i think that that happens when you're trying to deal with it alone yeah but if you come together as a community you suddenly become so much more strong and like yeah, I just think it's really important. In my personal, like what you said about choosing to be Jewish, a big factor and a big factor that sort of brought me back 
into the fold, I would say, was like when we did the interfaith events with Muslim people and mosques and stuff like that, because that really, that really showed me that like Judaism has concrete ways to make the world a better place. Like Judaism is, is facilitating like that Judaism can play an active role in making the world a better place. Like that was, it was such a powerful experience to be with people of a different faith and a different culture and just try to find common ground and that being so readily there. It wasn't a huge effort just to like recognize other people for their humanity and like, and that's just such a powerful commitment to, to the world. You know what I mean? Like it's Judaism. What I found compelling about that was like, I, it made me envision a way that Judaism could play a role in my life, a positive role in my life and like help me be a better person. I agree with all of that. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to say good afternoon and uh, have a good day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.